Welcome to the Meaning in Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Permar, and today we're going to be reviewing a book, The Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care, answering a question from the community about children nagging for snacks, and our parenting deep dive for the day will be relationships versus philosophies. Our format going forward will be to dive into one parenting topic or philosophy, such as Montessori floor beds, Charlotte Mason homeschooling, baby wearing, attachment parenting, or cloth diapering. We'll look at both sides of each issue, and I'll give you my take, as well as some strategies for implementation. However, today I thought a good place to start would be relationships, which is ultimately the key to a supported and happy motherhood. We'll get into that in a little bit, but first we've got our book review. Our book this week is The Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care by Sally Fallon Morell and Thomas Cowan. I was so excited to find this book after being a fan of Nourishing Traditions Cookbook for many years. If you're not familiar with Nourishing Traditions, it's a cookbook that preceded all the paleo, keto, and pro-fat trends. Basically, it says that animal fats are good and have always been good, and gives other ways to make awesome foods healthful by offering alternative sweeteners and traditional preparations of seeds, nuts, and grains. For example, fermenting doughs overnight. More on this later at the end of the show, where I will give you my favorite cake recipe. I've also been using the Nourishing Traditions Fertility Guide, honoring our cycles to successfully prevent pregnancy without pharmaceuticals until my husband and I were ready for a child. The Nourishing Traditions book of Baby and Child Care reiterates some of the nutrition information from her earlier work, but it also gives us some information on autism prevention, preventing SIDS, and how to treat common childhood illnesses at home. However, what struck me most about this book was how basically rational and reasonable it was. It addressed many of the issues that I was struggling with as a new mom, such as co-sleeping, breastfeeding, and baby wearing, and advised basically moderation in all things. I expected a more extreme view from an author who insists that we must eat grass-fed liver, fish eggs, and up to 10 eggs a day. But even on the topic of sugar, she warns not to be too strict. She says, Be resigned to the fact that you cannot keep refined sweeteners away from your children. Don't make a fuss when they eat sweets and junk foods occasionally while they're out with friends, or you might give them good reason to rebel. You can protect them from occasional use of sugar with a diet at home that is consistently nutritious. I love that. Just a nice moderation and making sure that you're providing good nutrition at home and not worrying too much about interfering with their relationships, which leads perfectly into our next topic for the day, which is relationships versus philosophies. As you might have guessed, I'm a bit of a research nut. I get excited about outlandish ideas and parenting strategies that seem natural. Basically, I want to do science experiments on my child, but only the good kinds. I'm totally seduced by anything that seems natural or traditional or even modern. Anything but the boring old crib and the plastic bottle. But in reality, I can become anxious about enforcing these ideas, put myself on edge, and risk alienating those around me. For example, I read on a rye parenting book by Magda Gerber that you should never prop a baby in a position that it can't get into by itself. The idea being that it reduces their motivation to get there to that position by themselves and encourages poor postural habits. Now, as a massage therapist by trade, I am very concerned with making sure my daughter has good body awareness and biomechanics. And every time my mother-in-law or my husband would prop her on their knees, I would inwardly cringe. But ultimately, I decided it was better by far that my husband feel comfortable with his child than 
having everything exactly the way I want it. Same thing with my mother-in-law. Having grandparents in a child's life is clearly a boon for her development. It's really important that she have a good relationship and that I'm not always intervening and interfering. I heard an interview with Marco Gurian on the Hand in Hand Parenting podcast, and they were talking a lot about this idea that the mother interferes with the father's relationship with the child, and sometimes this prevents the natural roughhousing that would happen at home with um, father and child, and how important that roughhousing is for their development. Another really great book, I'll just slip in there, is The Art of Roughhousing. Really exciting. Lots of games in there for you to play with your kids if you're not that into it. But back to our topic, relationships versus philosophies. I'll give you another example. I'm on a Montessori Toddler Facebook group, and I've seen a lot of frustrated questions about what do I do when my in-laws give me flashing plastic toys despite the fact that I've told them over and over again that I want only wooden ones? I totally get it. For sure, I would prefer my baby to be surrounded by natural materials and toys that my child must manipulate rather than one that's manipulating my child. But it is so important for your baby to have a good relationship with your in-laws and their other family members that I wouldn't make that big of a deal about it. Say thank you and put it in the closet or bring it out only when they're around. Put it in the car or for special occasions when you really need them to, you know, be entertained for a little minute. Just don't make that big of a deal about it and and try not to be inwardly uptight as well because that's something that I can get really into is that inward uptight feeling and, you know, something that's happening around you that's not exactly the way you want it. But honestly, it's better to have people in your life than just be completely isolated and just have everything exactly perfect. Um, So instead, just try and relax and as Sally Fallon Morrell put it, be resigned to the fact that your child will play with plastic toys. Of course, I'm not suggesting that you put your child in harm's way in any way or leave him in the care of a negligent or abusive person. But for things that are not such a big deal, try to shrug it off. Set your limits, but when you can, prioritize people over philosophies. Don't make a fuss. You can protect them from the occasional use of screens, etc. by a nutritious diet of intellectual, physical, and mental stimulation at home. Okay, next is our question from the community. A good friend of mine sent this question in. I am so grateful. Thank you. This mama asks, my daughter is four years old. She is constantly asking me for food. She bothers me while I'm cooking, working, or talking with friends with, I'm hungry. But when we sit down to eat, she doesn't quite finish her food. So she's not starving to death, but she's just constantly bothering me for food. Thank you so much for your question. I'm so excited to be able to help you out with this and offer any resources that I can. I'm not, you know, a certified parenting coach or anything like that. I just read a lot and I have a lot of ideas and resources that I'd like to share with you. So I have two ideas for this specific mama. First, it sounds like your daughter is asking more for attention than for just food. So we don't need to just solve the food problem, but we need to solve the connection problem as well. My connection suggestion for you is to give her five to 10 minutes of dedicated time, ideally every day, but especially before you engage in an adult only activity, such as meeting up with your friends or even going for a drive. This idea comes from hand in hand parenting, and it's an awesome resource for anyone who's feeling overwhelmed by the parenting challenges in their lives. They call this tool special time. The main rules for special time are one, that it needs to be timed dedicated time. Okay. Five to 10 minutes is great. 
longer if you have it, but make sure that you can dedicate that time 100% to your child and ideally one child at a time for that time. So it's not time that you're going to check your phone. It's not time you're going to go to the bathroom or check the laundry or be cooking dinner or whatever else. It's 100% focused on them time. And that's why it's timed because you need to be able to get out of it when you can, when, um, you know, you only can dedicate a certain amount of time to just hundred percent focus time, but that is their time. Okay. The second rule for special time is that it's child led. So that means that you're not coming in with ideas about like, Hey, let's draw together or whatever. It's great if you want to draw with your child, but that's not special time. They need to choose what the play is. So follow their lead. And that's another really important reason why it's timed. Cause if they choose something that's a little too, um, exciting for you or just like boring for you or something it's a timed amount of time and you know you can get through those five minutes even if it's something that you don't really ideally want to do of course you can set some safety parameters about that so if you're injured or whatever you don't have to jump around on the couch or if you don't want to break the couch you can set that rule so as long as it's something that's safe and something that um you know you are able physically to do that it's a good idea to just time it and let the child lead The third rule for special time is that it's announced time. So you don't have to call it special time because I know I thought that was a bit dumb when I first heard it. No offense to hand in hand. I love hand in hand, but basically just it has to be named time. So you can call it like Molly's time or together time or whatever you want to call it, but they need to be able to look forward to that and look back on that, that that was my time with mommy. That was my special time. Okay. So that is the first strategy. Start building that connection piece every day and see if your daughter's requests for foods decline. My guess is that they will because you're not feeding her every time she's asking. So, um, you know, she's, she's asking to get your attention, but she's not starving to death. We know she's eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner as well. Then I would deal with the snack issue separately. I happen to know with this mama that, um, food is a triggering issue for her. So putting herself in the situation where she's constantly having to be the arbiter of food for her daughter is potentially causing some concern for her. Like, am I, you know, giving her a complex by refusing her snacks or giving her too many snacks or, you know, whatever it is. It's like, there's no getting around it as a mom, you've got to deal with snacks, but it's a bit of a challenge because, you know, you don't want to scar your child um, around food. And there's no, I don't think there's any like hard science on snacking in children. I will look into that. In fact, if you have hard science on snacks for children and like what psychological damage that may or may not do for them, that would be awesome. I would love to hear that. I'm always open to hearing research. My Instagram is meaning in motherhood. Um, so just go ahead and, you know, type that in and, um, send me a message if you have some interesting research on snacks. But for the snack issue, I would just remove myself as the distributor of snacks. You don't need to be the snack master anymore. So try a basket for snacks for the whole day or a cup in the fridge or shelf in the fridge that's hers if there's things like cheeses that need to be refrigerated. So basically you are telling her these are your snacks for the day. And then when she says, mom, I'm hungry, you can say, okay, um, go get your snack, whatever you want. And, you know, but it's a set limited amount in a day. Of course, there's the fear that she's going to totally overeat. I happen to know this child that she actually does tend not to overeat or she will say like, oh, I ate too much food and she'll feel uncomfortable. 
if you have a child that um, doesn't ever feel those hunger sensations, then that's a different issue. But for this child specifically, I would say definitely um, it's okay if she overeats or, you know, runs out of snacks the first day. She will learn to arbitrate it. But honestly, what I think will happen is that she'll probably start bothering you about other things that are not snack related because the thing is she wants that attention and connection with you and asking for snacks is just her way of getting that right now. So if you put in the connection piece, I think the whole problem will dissipate a little bit, but I would definitely um, start with just the connection piece and the snack basket. So say goodbye to being the snack master. Yay. Um, I'm certainly not, don't want to be the snack master either. Thank you so much for your question. I'm so excited to talk to you about this kind of stuff. I read about parenting um, issues constantly. So I'm very excited to be able to offer support whenever I can. If you have any questions for me that you would like me to answer on the podcast, go ahead and send me a message at my Instagram, which is meaning in motherhood, and you will find me there and we will connect. It's time for our next segment, which is Mothercraft. For those of you unfamiliar with Charlotte Mason, I'll tell you a little bit about her idea of mother culture, which is a Charlotte Mason adjacent concept. Charlotte Mason is a homeschooling hero who lived in the 19th and early 20th centuries. She encouraged her teachers to always be increasing their knowledge and exploring new ideas. And as a mother teaching our children, even if we're not homeschooling, it's still important for us to be increasing our knowledge, increasing our skills, and inspiring our children. So hence, I'm going to do a segment called Mothercraft, which is all about things I'm trying to do to improve myself and just fun things that I'm doing um, that make my life happy and easier. So it doesn't always have to be hard things like, yes, you want to challenge yourself, but also things that you do to rest and recuperate are exciting as well. So last week was my birthday and obviously we couldn't go out or have anyone over, which is so sad because I really, really like hosting people, but I decided to bake myself an awesome cake, which I haven't baked in a few years. And so I was a little bit rusty on it, but this is actually from the Nourishing Traditions cookbook which um, my copy is in storage, but I did find it online. But if you're into that sort of thing and you want to challenge yourself culinarily, I would say definitely, definitely get the Nourishing Traditions cookbook. Um, it'll give you a good explanation about some theoretical issues, as well as just like a lot of really cool recipes that you can try. So this was a carrot cake recipe and it was so awesome. I love cake, of course, who doesn't? But the thing is when you have like a nice fluffy chocolate cake or whatever and you eat it, it's so fluffy that you barely even notice you ate anything and then you're immediately like, oh my God, it's gone. And I didn't even notice that I ate it. Kind of like a donut, like a normal donut. I barely even register that I've eaten it and it's just like gone instantly. So I like this carrot cake because it is a little bit dense. It gives you something to chew on. I may have finished mine in about three days, but better than like 30 seconds. So it's a really great cake. It is sweetened with a little bit of sweetener, but also pineapple juice is a big part of the sweetness. And that makes me feel a little bit better so I can eat it guilt-free. It also has a fermented element. So the dough is actually soaked overnight in yogurt. So to help it get cultured a little bit, and then you have to make sure you really mix it well the next day so that it's all like consistently evenly mixed and then you bake it for two hours on a low temperature heat and it's just awesome and then I did a 
cream cheese frosting that was basically like a homemade cream cheese and honey and that was all it was and it turned out really really good and it added to the cake just perfectly so that was delicious it was a great birthday experience for myself and I was happy with that my other mother culture things that I'm doing right now I'm working on learning temperatures this is kind of a weird one but I grew up like half in Canada and half in the United States and so we switched back and forth from Fahrenheit to Celsius and I just never really internalized like what the temperatures mean so when someone says it's like 61 degrees out I'm like I don't really know what should I be wearing like shorts or like a heavy jacket I really can't tell so basically every time I've been going outside um, to walk my dog in the morning I'll look at the temperature and then in the afternoon as well when I go out again and so it's just like imprinting on my brain what the temperatures are and I know it doesn't seem like a big deal, but now I'm starting to understand, okay, like 72 is the perfect temperature, obviously, but 55 is like cool, but you need a light jacket. And I don't know, I'm just hoping to kind of internalize those things, um, despite the fact that it means looking at my phone a lot, which I'm not really super thrilled about, but you know, um, you're learning and that's what the phone is there for. So great. The other little thing is that we kind of fell off the wagon about saying grace and I've just started... Um, ask the family again if we can like start saying grace before we eat and just because there's always like that weird moment when you put the food down it's like who's going first should we dig in and saying grace just kind of helps to smooth that transition and also help us be grateful for the food that we have okay this leads me nicely into our next segment which is stuff I like stuff I like stuff I like stuff I like this week, my Stuff I'd Like is a podcast by Matt Walsh. It's called The Matt Walsh Show. It's a Daily Wire podcast. If you're into getting the news in an interesting way, then this might be the one for you. Uh, it is sort of conservative leaning, so I'll warn you ahead of time if that's not your jam. That's fine. Um, but basically, he did a podcast on affirming parental rights to homeschool. So as you know, with what's going on with the COVID-19 thing, there are some concerns about rights being infringed and there's also a lot of sort of discussion around the homeschooling issue because a lot of kids are home obviously most kids are home now with their parents and so a lot of people are overwhelmed and they just can't wait their, for their kids to go back to school and that's great like don't worry your kids are going to go back to school eventually I believe in that 100% but for some people I think they're realizing that they might actually want to homeschool their kids long term. It wasn't quite as bad as they thought it was going to be or as hard as they thought it was going to be or, you know, they just really enjoyed spending time with their kids or their kids do better at home or whatever it was. So there's some concern that a lot of parents are going to choose to keep their kids at home and homeschool now that everyone's had a taste for it and it's becoming a little more normalized. So there's some people pushing back against this. And for example, there was an article in the New York Times about the negative aspects of homeschooling. There's also a symposium going on at Harvard in a little while that is all about the negative aspects of homeschooling. And they're not really presenting both sides of the story. And this is something I heard about through the Matt Walsh show. I have a four-month-old daughter right now, and we are planning on having several more kids. Um, but we you know, we want to homeschool them. And so we're really interested in homeschooling rights and homeschooling strategies. So you'll hear a lot about that from me. And even though it's a little bit early for us to th be thinking about these things, um, it's still like, 
a good thing for us to be thinking about. And if that interests you, then yay, because you'll hear plenty about it on this podcast. Anyway, so the Matt Walsh Show is something I can recommend, uh, especially if you like kind of a dry humor and getting your news in an interesting way. I also received a beautiful book entitled Beholding and Becoming the Art of Everyday Worship for my birthday, and it's lovely. It's a lovely book, just overall nice hardcover, beautiful illustrations, and the author and the illustrator are the same person, so it's really cohesive in the way it's illustrated and the way it's put forward. I've already read just the first chapter, and it's so beautiful and inspiring, so I definitely would recommend that one also makes an excellent gift, I can say. Okay, two more pieces from the Stuff I Like list. I have a lot of things I like and I could go on forever. If you're looking for something to binge, I would definitely recommend The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That is on Amazon Prime, I believe. It is really uh, funny and charming and totally like I got addicted to it right after I had my baby (laughs) while I was totally sleep revived and pumping and everything. But I would definitely recommend that, very exciting. Okay, more stuff I like next week. Oh, now it's time to move on to our next segment, which is living ideas. And this is a section where I dive into one thought that caught my mind during the week. This week's living idea is the idea of women's curse being desire for her husband from Genesis 3.16. Now, these will not all be Bible verses, but this one happened to come into my attention. And I've been feeling it a lot. You may be wondering why a desire for her husband is a curse. So if it was sexual desire, that would be a totally um, cool thing, right? You desire your husband. That's the way it should be. But a different translation says you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So I don't want to talk about the ruling over part, and I definitely don't want to talk about the childbirth part right now, although I promise I will do an episode about childbirth and specifically that segment in the Bible. But Just the segment that says you will desire to control your husband is like, that is a curse. I feel that in me all the time. And especially since we've been home and both my husband and I are looking for employment, just looking to change our situation. I really want to control his choices and I want to control how he spends his time at home. And it's frustrating because I know it's not right. Like if I ask for his help, okay, if someone asks for my help, yes, I'm going to help them, but maybe not exactly that second because I might be busy with something. And to me, that's something that I'm busy with is important. And so to him, the things that he's busy with are important to him, but I don't feel that and I don't trust him enough to just let that be. So I definitely feel that curse, the uh, curse of wanting to control and desire to control your husband. And I would feel so much better if I would just let myself relax and enjoy spending time with him and letting us be at home together and enjoy our daughter and enjoy the things that we have. So I'm not, you know, giving advice or anything, but that's just what I would say today is, you know, the message overall is that relationships are more important than most other things. So just letting go the things that aren't that important and really, really letting yourself focus on the things that are important and letting that inner clenching that I am constantly holding on to just (sighs) letting it go and moving on and trying to enjoy myself even just doing that even just a nice breath oh my goodness helped a lot 
Okay, now it's the time for our final segment, prayers and support. Of course, at this time, prayers and support must go out to those who are impacted by coronavirus, specifically those in cities or stuck indoors. I'm so grateful that we are safe and reasonably unaffected where we are. And I want to also say to those who are out of work right now, I hope that we will all be back to normal soon and back to work soon. I'm so grateful that we have food on the table and a safe environment. And I am, you know, my heart bleeds for those who are out there and who aren't in that situation. So we'll just say a little prayer and send our thoughts that way. Well, that's all for today on the Meaning in Motherhood podcast. Please subscribe. I'll be putting up episodes weekly, and you can also follow me on Instagram at Meaning in Motherhood. Please send in your questions for the questions from the community section and ideas for topics that you have or other things you want to tell me. Go ahead and just send me a message. I would love to hear from you that someone out there is listening. It'd be so exciting. Also, if you liked this episode, please rate and give it a five-star review. That would be really fantastic and help me out so much. I will see you next week on the Meaning in Motherhood podcast.